I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello, and welcome to the Living History UK podcast, a podcast for the discerning and knowledge-hungry historians out there. You can support our podcast and get much more from Living History UK by joining our Patreon from just one pound. And by doing so, you'll be a part of an ever-growing community and really help to make a difference as we strive to keep history alive. But for now, enjoy this podcast. Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Living History UK podcast, where I'm joined here with my good friend and everlasting colleague, Peter Neal. And we're going to be discussing the, uh, the stretch bearer of the First World War. Aren't we, Peter? We are indeed. And this has been a, a recent pet project for yourself, um, hasn't it, Pete? I know that I saw you uh, last time I visited. There was a empty stretch bear haversack sitting on the sofa. Um, so what what really sparked the interest of this uh, stretch bearer? Proof to tell, not quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't know. I, you're, that is the honest answer. I have no idea where I've got this recent recent um, obsession from. So I, 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 what it was, I I think I was just flicking through. I was just doing some like general research stuff, and and I thought to myself, I thought I haven't really done much about stretcher bearers, about like actually like the regimental ones, not about the Royal Army Medical Corps ones, but the the blokes who are in like the proper bloody end of it. So to be honest, I the reason that this is starting off is obviously I make reproduction iodine, uh, which you've got to well you you have one, Dom, and so do quite a few others associated with us. Um so from that I um for when we do our first world war stuff, I was like, Well, we need we need a field we need a shell dressing bag. Um the type the uh stretcher bears would have carried uh mainly for when we do our trench events and things like that um so i brought one so i bought one off of danny rees um uh, our friend danny rees and uh and i thought i was like um i was like well what should go in this bag really you know and i thought well, actually what does actually go in this bag so with that, I just started looking into it, and I spoke to our good friend uh, Richard Townsley, uh, the man, the oracle, the myth, the legend of all things Army Medical Corps stuff in the First World War and the Second. So I had a brief chat with him, 
Um, but I'd already been starting to look stuff up. So then when I spoke to him, it was more like a confirmation of what I've learned so far. And I, I was actually really proud of myself to how well I did. And I think he was as well. <laughs> and um, so, yeah, that, that's where this thing started. So I started like looking at what goes into one of these bags and what would have had. And that's where this little obsession or project, if you want to call it that, um, sort of stemmed from. So, yeah, that's... That's basis because I've bought a bag. <laughs> <laughs> uh, of course, the bag is all to blame for one of Peter's misadventures once, once again. So you touched on uh, the Royal Army Medical Corps earlier. But uh, some some of the guys know that they that the the concept of a of a stretcher bearer or um, regimental stretcher bearer um is significantly different to really your your average um I don't even know what the word is member trooper of the of the Royal Army Medical Corps as from my understanding like if you they're Royal Army Medical Corps like most of the blokes are essentially porters and one may even say nurses from like looking at it from a, like a modern medical perspective but I would not be correct in in saying this Pete that essentially the stretcher bearer um, the regimental stretch bearer from the First World War would essentially be the Great War's equivalent to a paramedic being the first one on the scene. Am I wrong, along the right lines here? Yeah, you are, Dom. You are going along those right lines. It's 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 one of them. It's like it's a it's a yes and a no answer at the same time. So it's yes, it's the, it's the right sort of lines you're going down, but it's a completely different beast, though. Um, so. What I mean by that is, is that like for us, we don't have a combat medic really until the 1950s. Um, so in the first war and the second war, it's stretcher bearers. So if you watch any first world war films or second world war films and you hear a man shout out for a medic, being British, that is, um, shouting out for a medic, point at the telly and boo it because we don't have medics. We had stretcher bearers. Um and obviously we'll go into that, go into this in a bit detail in a bit, but the training was a lot different. And if a combat medic of today was to come face to face with a stretcher, a regimental stretcher bearer from the first war, or even to another extent, a Royal Army Medical Corps stretcher bearer, because they they do the same sort of job, but they're but they're different species of stretcher bearer. They've got they've got a specific role to do. He'd just be stood there scratching his head, saying, "How how do you actually keep men alive?" <laughs> <laughs> and so, obviously, you 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 don't just sort of become as you, as um, this as like a stretcher bearer. So, what sort of um, what before your your average well your your average stretcher bearer was a stretcher bearer? What would his what would his path to being a um, essentially being uh, allotted the role? of a regimental stretcher bearer, what that what would his path be going from, say, at, um, attesting and then finding himself being stretcher bearer? What was the route in between? So for many years beforehand, it usually the, the job role of a regimental stretcher bearer, um, probably for the past hundred years before the First World War, uh, or up until the First World War, it, it was the bandsman. That yeah, that was like their sort of designated job on the battlefield would be to pick up casualties because the thought behind a bandsman is that they can carry heavy instruments, um, so therefore they can carry a stretcher with a man on it. And that's as far as it went. But then when the First World War come round, 
it's like, yeah, there is some heavy instruments out there, you know, like true tubers, bass drums, but then like if you're playing a clarinet, it's not exactly a heavy instrument, is it? <laughs> so it's so you got people that aren't actually physically up to the challenge of doing the job of, of a regimental stretcher bearer. Especially being in the type of war that they're now fighting, because obviously they've not fought a war like this ever before. Um, so they needed to readjust the criteria um, for the regimental stretcher bearers. That being, uh, it was volunteers for start. Um, if I remember off the top of my head from um, the Royal Army Medical Corps manual in regards to battalion medical officers, so the battalion medical officer is basically the battalion's doctor that's what his job is and in the manual regarding that is that he has strong men and men that can think to themselves and take instruction as well and not to have men who can't think for themselves or play up so basically what it means is the criteria of becoming a stretcher bearer is that you could ask to be one you need to be able to think for yourself you need to have physical strength and you need to be able to take orders as well okay so quite a um quite a select sort of a select few so to speak then so going from the that bandsman route where as i, I quite quite agree with you Pete, i mean carrying a piccolo and um uh you know a hundred kilo tommy are quite different beasts um <clears throat> so yeah okay that's 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 quite interesting so that so the man has now Vol- he's vo- he's volunteered to be a stretcher bearer. Does he receive any training, and, and and what and what training is it? So first off, his training is his infantry training because he is an infantry soldier first. So he's an infantry first, and going into this role second. Um, so he's done his he's done his basic infantry training. He's gotten to his battalion, and he's decided he's either got an interest in medical stuff, or he's been seen to be the sort of bloke that they need as a stretcher bearer. So they've gone, we want you to be a stretcher bearer, and he's gone, yes or no, basically. Um, from that, his medical training will then become will come under the jurisdiction of the battalion medical officer, and it's. Basically, how it's written is it's how much the amount of training that's given is how much the medical officer sees fit to give him. So it's a very it's a very grey area to the actual training that he's going to receive. He will know how to carry a stretcher because I'd have touched on that anyway as part of his infantry training, uh, but not but not but nothing in depth. So when he would go to the medical officer. So even like the whole battalion, even if you've got no interest in being a stretcher bearer, that would actually be part of your battalion training. So if you're off the line or something like that, you could have the medical officer get the, get a company together and go, right, you're going to do stretcher bearer training today because each man is actually expected to do it at some point at some time. But if you prove to be very good at it, then it sort of then becomes your regular job. So the most basic training a stretcher bearer would get would be, like I said, it'll get more in-depth training on how to carry a stretcher, either as a pair or as a four, because you can carry a stretcher as four men as well, depending on how severe the casualty is. Secondly, he will just be told how to stop bleeding. That is it. It's And, and the way it will be taught is apply pressure it's like every every soldier's got his first field dressing so he's got the two little field dressings in his uh 
Phil dressing pouch in his SD tunic. Apply the dressings where appropriate, where it needs to be. Then get him on the stretcher, then get him back because that's all you need to be able to do because you're not medically minded. That's the most basic level of what the training would be for a stretcher bearer. Wow, that is that is really basic. So just to stop stop bleeding, that's I mean, I, I assume that is to um that's just to allow really to to preserve that little bit of life to stop him completely um, you know, putting claret all over the deck to get him back to a um to get him to a regimental A post where he'd be seen by the um, by the uh, by the regimental medical officer, as you said earlier, Pete. Exactly, because far as cause remember, these these are infantry soldiers. These aren't medi- these aren't medically trained men. So the way the medical officer sees it is their sole purpose is to go out into the battlefield, collect the casualty, bring him back to then be assessed to go through a proper triage with the medical officer. And obviously, the medical officer will have a couple of orderlies from the Royal Army Medical Corps attached with him, maybe four, three or four, something like that, who will have that little bit of further knowledge. But the sole purpose for a stretcher bearer is to get that soldier off the battlefield to the regimental aid post for the triage. That's where the treatment will start. Okay. And so, again, this, um, so that regimental aid post, you say that that staff at the regimental aid post sort of, again, cements that little bit of difference between your average stretcher bearer and, say, the, the guys in the RMAC at the, at the regimental aid post who would essentially be working as, um, as triage nurses. Um, and for those who don't know, triage is, uh, sorting through casualties for the most severe, um, to the not so severe so the ones who are who are in more need of care over say others so these blokes they've they've gone over the top and they're they're carrying a stretcher and they've got a bag Uh, is it just bandages and dressings in this bag or do they carry anything else so really what you're looking at in sort of 1914 is they're pretty much just carrying a a, la- a shell dressing which is the large dressing and a couple of first field dressings in their bag um along with a pair of uh, heavy duty scissors uh, that they'd be issued um and that is pretty much all they've got um in 1914 because because of the sort of mentality of the intelligence I say that because that's how they're seeing it as the time. So it's the intelligence of the men that are doing the picking up. So that's all they've got. So they're armed. So they're armed with their bag of field dressings um, and a water bottle. That is. And so the water bottle will be for themselves and obviously for the casualty. Um, not so much the big ones. So you'll see these big ones. So you'll see these larger ones about twice the size of a normal uh, British Army water bottle, and it has like a little metal cup on top. That's Royal Army Medical Corps stuff. Sometimes you'll see regimental stretcher bearers with them. That's because they've stolen them from the Royal Army Medical Corps. Um, if they've ended up you know, going behind the line into the reserve area, into the field dressing stations and things like that, send one laying around, they're going, oh, I'll have that because that's useful. So that's what. So that's basically what he's going into action with uh, first off. And the other thing to add as well, in 1914... 
stretcher bearers weren't really held in very high regard in 1914 because the blokes who were volunteering to be a stretcher bearer were kind of looked down by by their colleagues uh, solely because they saw it as well. You're an infantryman. You're not. You're not. You know what you're doing. You know you're here. To, you're here to fire a rifle, not carry a stretcher. And then the lot of the lot of, the, lot of their colleagues would look down on them because they'll see it as they're trying to get a cushy job. That's how it sort of worked out. But then by late fourteen into fifteen, the their colleagues then decided well, actually these blokes are doing some good stuff. Uh, and the other and the other thing as well is that before an assault would go in or while they're doing their stints up on the line, the only time you'd see the stretcher bearer is if one's been called for. So they'll actually be sat in the uh in the in the uh support trench, pretty much, out the way. And before an assault, they'll be stood out the way as well. Um but then what they then started doing was encouraging them to actually move up onto the line, onto the front line trench, especially before an attack happened, because they then got seen as a kind of good luck. It was um, before the lads went in, they wanted to make sure they caught the eye of the stretcher bearers because they want to know if they go down, they're going to get recognised and picked up again. Okay, so they were it almost sort of a bit of a stigma towards them then, so being essentially viewed as, as cowards. But the... Um... Obviously, as as you said, like the the attitude it, it changes when um, blokes start going down on the battlefield and they're being pit and they're being picked up quite quickly. What what was sort of the <clears throat> the reaction time? So before, let's not talk about the assault straight away. Let's talk about your day to day life in, in a trench. So, do you know what sort of the reaction time would be for so um you know you, you get get wounded your average day of the trench you now shell comes into a trench you know you get you get buried dug out and you 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 injured what sort of the reaction time and and what would sort of be the stage on from there hiring for your small business if you're not looking for professionals on linkedin you're looking in the wrong place that's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Obviously, the first thing you do is actually raise the alarm. So that's when you've got your bloke shouting for stretcher bearers. Um, you have blokes shouting for stretcher bearers. And obviously, people know where they are. So they'll usually be either sat outside the field dressing state, outside the regimental aid post, sorry, because that's like a focal point, if you know what I mean, because it's basically the field dressing, the uh, regimental um, aid post is where the battalion doctor is. So... The doctor, he knows where the stretcher bearers are and therefore everybody else knows where they are if they haven't got a job on. Or 
then we moved up a little bit and they'll go, right, we'll have two of it. So almost like a stag system. So they could go, right, you two are going to go up onto the front line for a couple of hours then you lot, then you swap over after so long. But it depends on what their, you know, it depends what their procedure is because it can vary from battalion to battalion on how they're doing it. So the right, the, the alarm has been sent or at the same time as well, a bloke has taken it on himself as a kind of runner to go and find a stretcher bearer or stretcher bearers, sorry. The reaction time is as quick as the stretcher bearer can get there because you've got narrow trenches, you've got people in the way, you don't know what's going on at the time as well. So it's literally, it's as, it, and also depending on where they are, when they're found or, you know. So it, it, it there's no real set time for how long it takes the regimental stretcher bearer to actually get to the casualty if they're in the frontline trench. But then obviously if they're over the bags, it's, uh, it's, it's literally whenever they get there. Same as it would be in the frontline trench. Okay, so that's sort of your average sort of day. And then what would, where would the stretcher bearers be and, and how how would they conduct themselves off, you know, after they go over the bags um, on the assault? So what they'll do is that when the battalion actually goes over, the battalion's gone in um, and they'd actually wait a little bit. So they'll they'll wait to get a little bit of breathing space between them and the battalion that's gone over. Soon as they've sort of counted it right, they'll then themselves go over the bags and start bringing wounded back. That's that's what they'll literally start doing. They'll all they'll, they'll prep, prep, um, basically they will just go into an autopilot mode. They'll as soon as they get out of those bags, the first bloke they see, they'll check him. Right, he's dead. Move on to the next one. Right, he's alive. Right, get get the bandage on him. There we are. Throw him on the stretcher. Get him back out. Then drop him off at the at the regimental aid post back out over the bags and to collect the next one and bring him in. And that's what they're doing. Okay. So it's not as, as we see in say, see, say the films where someone will, um, on the attack, someone will cry out. And, um, and there we are. Uh, Tommy, the Tommy, the stretcher bearers turned up. It's, um, you know, essentially the stretcher bearers are just essentially mopping up the wounded, so to speak. Um, yeah, sort of mopping up, mopping up the wounded and working their way forward to hopefully uh, the objective. Uh, would, would that be the, the case? Yeah. yeah, yeah, that's literally what they'll be doing, and that's their sole purpose. They are literally just collecting the casualties. But then, I mean, when we progress a bit further forward, say to mid-war, uh, so we're going sort of mid fifteen into sixteen. This is when they start getting a bit more. Um, what's the word? Um, well-versed, I should say. So by this point, the a lot of the battalion medical officers are gone, hang on a minute, these blokes are actually quite an asset. Um, and some of them who are doing this job permanently, because some of them are doing this job permanently, because at the end of the day, if you're very good at something, you're gonna they're going to keep you doing it. Um, or in general, it'll generally be it's like you'll take, take turns in it because like I said before you're an infantry soldier first then you're a stretcher bearer but the ones that did take the interest in it and felt they were doing purpose in their work they're actually taking it on themselves to sort of train themselves so they're writing home and asking for first aid books so I've got I've got one for my bag and that's printed by the Red Cross in 1914 uh, that is 
and it tells you all about first aid. So these blokes in their downtime, they'd actually be reading the first aid manual. So when they actually get to these casualties, not only are they not just picking them up, they're actually giving them treatment at the same time. So blokes are starting to survive more in the assaults and things like that, or even if it's just a, like you said before, Dom, a shell blast in a trench and took a few blokes out, they're turning up. They're actually doing a triage at this point. So they're doing a brief triage going, right, he's not moving, he's screaming, right, Let's move on. Let's check the bloke who's not screaming. Right, yeah, he is dead. Right, let's move on to the bloke who's screaming now then. Right, what's wrong with you? Right, he's got this, that and the other. Right, what we're going to need to do, we need to put iodine in that, put the dressings on, um, keep his, you know, and go through the process. But also the medical officers in uh, another degree are actually giving them more in-depth training as well. And then what you're then seeing in their bags, no longer they just got a pair of scissors and a couple of field dressings, they're actually accumulating a actual sort of a, a medic set. So not so they've got their first field dressings, the shell dressings, the scissors, but then they're starting to have things like a bottle of iodine. So instead of having it in the ampules, that's with the first field that you get with your first field dressing, they've actually got a bottle of the stuff. So they can actually use it quite liberally on the um on the wounds and they're picking up other bits and pieces as well uh tweezers pincers and things like that. when they're going again when they're going back off the line and they're, and they're coming into contact with the field dressing stations and things like that they go ah that'll be useful uh either a piece of medical equipment or something like that and they're nicking it <laughs> they're nicking it and putting it in their bag because they go well i know how to use this i've read the book about it and the medical officer has shown me how one of these works um, so it's going like that. So by 1916, a lot of these stretcher bearers, especially what I call the professional stretcher bearers or professional regimental stretcher bearers, their bag is almost like a crash kit when they now turn up on the battlefield to an incident, be it either on the assault or a day-to-day incident in the trench. So no more are these bloke, these uh, these trumpeters and, and, uh, and drummers. You know, these guys are... You slow and they're not they're turning themselves it's not necessarily the army but it's it's themselves who are forcing this betterment um upon themselves and of course on on the uh, on the army at whole home that's um that's quite that is that's quite a feat that is uh, and where uh, at the end of the war what what sort of happens there do you know what sort of what becomes the stretch bearer in peacetime and um, and how they progress from from you know almost this this one man triage machine uh, as you see at the end end of the war um yeah because by the mid part of the war you can have a combat medic of today with a stretcher bearer from the mid-war period and that medic will go i know exactly what you're trying to do and what you are you are literally the birth of the combat medic. And that's why I said at the beginning, it's a kind of a yes and no answer. And um, like where you said, like you mentioned where they kind of took it on themselves to learn things and things like that through no sort of fault of their own, from their own um, want of education and wanting to do a better job. They've made themselves medics in a sense. So I find I find that's one of that's one of the things I found so interesting about this whole research process about the regimental stretcher bearers. And they were really leery as well because 
a lot of them, if you go, if you look at infantry battalion, a lot of the time, the blokes who are winning medals, that's the regimental stretcher bearers. So the blokes who are winning the DSOs, well, not so much DSOs, but especially military medals, uh, uh, DCM, that's what I was thinking, D- DSOs, the officer, D- DCM, Distinguished, uh, it Distinguished Conduct Medal. They're winning them, but they're getting bars to those medals as well, all because they're going out into no man's lands against the odds, and they're doing what they and they're doing what they know. You know, one very notable character who's actually one of the most highly decorated infantry soldiers of the First World War, and his name was Lance Corporal William Coltman, and he was in the North Staffordshire Regiment. He won the military medal, the DCM, and the Victoria Cross. And all those three gallantry awards, and actually, I believe he was also mentioned in dispatches as well, if I remember correctly. But each of those awards were all given to him while doing his duty as a regimental stretcher bearer. But when you say, well, what happened to these blokes after the war? Well, like most soldiers, they got discharged. They got demobbed and they you know, did what any other bloke did, tried to find work. And you find quite a few of them ended up going into hospitals. Either they were the, either they would join the ambulance service um, to be ambulance drivers or, you know, uh, or hospital porters. That that's what, that was the job that they were trying to do because that was the something they knew about. Um, granted, they weren't trying to, you know, try and plug gunshot wounds and shrapnel wounds and things like that. But that's the sort of field quite a few of them end up getting in so really a a, a pretty rich and and color and and colorful story then um you know the the completely different really from what you see at the beginning of the war and what you see at the end of the war and as you say how make using that skill that they taught themselves during the war um for the betterment of society after the war in this in in the med- in the medical uh, industries yeah uh, st john's ambulance that's another one to mention as well a lot of them went and joined st john's ambulance mm. because as, before... volu- as volunteer medical men yeah because and of course before the the what we know is the main nhs ambulance ser- services as we have today you know like um um like SCAS, for instance, the St. John's Ambulance was the the regular ambulance service, really, for for the country. Um, and of course, they still exist today. And again, when they, you know, the, um, the the firm cementation of them in sort of the, pu- the public sphere is because of these blokes who joined after the First World War after, you know, teaching themselves this, this, uh, this life-serving trade. Yeah, well, I think it's also a... Mo- a- um, almost like a social change as well, because you know, a lot of these blokes they're coming from whatever job they came from before, and now they've entered a medical field. But you know, what you're finding with these stretcher bearers, either either regimental stretcher bearers or the stretcher bearers that have come from the Royal Army Medical Corps, because like I said before, they're different animals because they were both stretcher bearers, but they served very different purposes. Um, where they'd go and do these jobs, like they'll either join St. John's Ambulance or join the ambulance service, or they'd become hospital porters. Their children are then become, uh, seem to be going into next steps where you start finding that, um, say, nurses in the Second World War, their fathers were stretcher bearers in the First World War. And then, like, the sons as well. So, like, the sons are stretcher bearers themselves, but actually in the Army Medical Corps or doing a, a certain job in the Army Medical Corps or before the war, they work at a hospital doing something. Um, but then you can get their children 
then start becoming doctors. So it's and then if you try some some doctors where if you've got them in so it's a family history of doctors, but sometimes it could you know you can find it all the way back to I don't know like the eighteen hundreds. There's always been a doctor in our family since eighteen seventy something, but you can go actually. There's only been a doctor in that family since, I don't know, 1949. Bang on a minute. Their grandfather or their father, he was a stretcher bearer during the First World War. Who went to go and work in a hospital. Incredible. So I think that's brought us round really nicely, that has. Um, thank you very much, Pete, for for telling us all about about the uh, the stretch barrier of the First World War and and what a, a rich history it has and how it's found its way into both not only you know the the modern day military sphere uh, but the you know the civilian sphere as well. Um, well I really appreciate that and it's yeah it's no it's, it's 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 one of those it's like when everyone thinks of an infantry infantry soldier of the First World War it's the man with his rifle with his bayonet fixed and charging towards the enemy but then there's that other soldier who's in his same battalion as him with the same training as him doing a very different job and and I feel also. I mean, that's the other, you know, one of the other reasons why I sort of started pursuing this sort of line of research was because they're, you know, they're among the unsung heroes of their battalion. And I think of the amount of lives that those blokes would have saved as oh, well. Precisely, Pete. You precisely, know? you know, they truly are the un the unsung heroes of the Great War. Yeah. And I'd like, yeah, I'd like to sort of give a comparison and talk about you know, the Royal Army Medical Corps stretcher bearers, but we just don't have the time to do it. So oh, people and, and the, the, the variety of, of trades as well. Yeah. And, yeah. and, and roles they they filled, uh, but the the stretcher bearer, the humble stretcher bearer, um, the the impact he had uh, on 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 the Great War, uh, the British Army, the Great War is immeasurable. Yes, um, thank you very much, ladies and gentlemen, for listening to this week's episode of the Living History UK podcast, where you've been listening to myself and Peter Neil discuss the history of the stretch bearer in the first world war. Remember to follow us on Patreon and all the, as usual, all the necessary links are down in the bio. Thank you very much. And we will see you on the next one. And remember, keep history alive. If you've enjoyed this podcast and want to support it, then why not send us a PayPal donation? All donations help us pay to host the podcast and for us to create new content for your enjoyment. Furthermore, if you would like to submit a question or even a subject matter for the podcast, join Patreon and send us a message. We'd love to hear from you. The links are in our bio. Until next time, keep history alive.